Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 52 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. the Fresh Prince of Hilaire, a.k.a. a swift murder mystery, a.k.a. Baby's Got Dak, and a.k.a. Post Mahomes. And I have an exciting show for you today. I am going to give you a game of fly or buy where I get into all of the best storylines from Overreaction Monday and let you know whether I'm in or out on them. I am going to give you the fly route for John Wall. Now him and Houston have come to a conclusion that he will no longer play for the Rockets. I am going to give you the second edition of my five fly picks where I give you my favorite bets for week two of the NFL season, and I am going to give you a big, big baller's bouquet to Cliff Kingsbury for his donations to Team Luke Hope for Mine. The Fly Route Pod. 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 Y'all is, y'all, 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 y'all is Tony Playboy. All right, everybody loves Overreaction Monday, and don't get me wrong, I love Overreaction Monday, too. It's part of what makes the football season so great. But what always interests me is the storylines that we have on teams, players, coaches, etc. More often than not, I don't think we understand the power that these storylines actually have when we digest them, spread them, or even in cases like people like me. We create them. And if enough people believe something, it kind of becomes true in this world of misinformation and fake news, etc. And if enough people that somebody respects as being an expert or knowledgeable on a particular subject start saying something, it can really change our material world, even if it has no basis in reality whatsoever. And I want you to think about Justin Fields, pre-draft rumor that was spread famously by Dan Orlovsky, hearing from someone that he trusts, and he says it on national TV. Multiple news outlets pick it up, start running with it. Justin Fields isn't a hard worker, can't understand the playbook, has some aptitude issues. And then we start seeing Justin Fields' draft stock materially fall because of rumors like this. And I haven't put out a video or two that you can go back and check on the YouTube channel about this. Later on, we find out that these rumors had no basis in reality whatsoever. But the damage has been done. Dan Orlovsky is doing an apology tour everywhere he can to set right the wrongs that he put into place. We also find out that Justin Fields scores one of the highest scores ever on an NFL aptitude test that is much, much better than the much maligned Wonderlook test. So I want to talk about the storylines from Overreaction Monday this week and the NFL season so far. And I want to let you know whether they are fly or I am saying bye to them. So I'm going to start with my first bye. That Lamar can't pass or has not improved in the passing game at all. This is maybe the most atrocious, lazy storyline in the NFL right now. I am so over this narrative. Are people that make this narrative a thing, even watching the games that Lamar plays, 
Are people watching the passes that he throws? He had a beautiful pass downfield, which people so frequently say that he can't do off to the side, not down the middle, like people say he so frequently can't do to Sammy Watkins in week one. It was great. And Lamar seems to be in a constant no-win situation for people in the media, his critics, etc. He makes a great throw. And all anyone will say is, he's an NFL quarterback. He is supposed to make that throw. And they will give him no credit for him. But if he misses a throw, all of a sudden he's completely inaccurate. He can't pass the ball at all. He's made no improvement. And this is what we've always been complaining about when it comes to Lamar Jackson. Multiple other quarterbacks can miss those same passes. Or even miss easier passes. And no one goes on a tirade about their accuracy people just always say well maybe that ball just got away from him the ball never just gets away from Lamar he apparently just can't do anything right when it comes to throwing the ball which is interesting because at least eight other QBs miss easier or similar throws to Lamar and that's just from the games that I watched personally week one we still come away with the conclusion that Lamar Jackson can't pass and I don't know how so I want to use the numbers from week one Here are QBs with worse completion percentages than Lamar Jackson in week one. Derek Carr, miraculous win Derek Carr against the Baltimore Ravens. Matt Ryan, Ryan Tannehill. Tua, who is touted for his accuracy with the ball. Josh Allen, Ben Roethlisberger, Trevor Lawrence, and Zach Wilson. Of course, Aaron Rodgers, who had possibly the worst game of his career. Week one QBs with worse QBRs than Lamar Jackson. Baker Mayfield, who played 90% of a fantastic game, according to the same people. Tom Brady, Jared Goff, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen again, and Chua. I want to know when we are going to start using the numbers when we talk about Lamar Jackson and his ability to pass instead of whatever you people are using now. All right, the next one that I am saying bye to, I am definitely saying bye to this one. Cam Newton being a possibility to be the next quarterback for the Washington football team, I am saying bye to this storyline for sure. Look, Ron Rivera has passed on Cam Newton once before. He had a reason then, and I don't know if that reason has changed. Cam is not vaccinated. We know that to be true because that is kind of how the impetus from him getting knocked off of the Patriots happened. Missed a COVID test with the NFL. He still got tested on his own. That's important to know. But missed a COVID test with the NFL. Had to take a five-day quarantine. Mac Jones comes through, takes over, and then Cam is unemployed. We know how Ron Rivera feels about vaccinations. We have heard him multiple times berate his team about them not taking the issue seriously enough. Ron Rivera is a cancer survivor. He is not going to add an unvaccinated quarterback to his room, even if it's Cam Newton. And that's not to say that Cam Newton wouldn't be a good fit for Ron Rivera. I am definitely not saying that. He understands the offensive system to an extreme degree. Nora Turner was his old offensive coordinator. Ron Rivera recently, like this preseason, said that he was not worried about Curtis Samuel missing a bunch of time from camp because. He already had the familiarity with the Panthers playbook that Cam Newton was also in, and that was this preseason. It is not about the X's and O's 
on the field for why I don't think Cam Newton is going to land on the Washington football team. It is everything outside of the X's and O's. Next storyline that I am definitely out on. What it that it is over for the Washington football team. I am even more out on that. I get it. Ryan Fitzpatrick got hurt. He is expected to be out for six to seven weeks at the very least with the hip injury. And I am not willing to write off the Washington football team yet. I'm going to stay with them as my division winner for the NFC East. Last year, this team won the division with the combination of Taylor Heineke, Alex Smith on one leg, and Dwayne Washington doing all his film study from the strip club. That's, that's honestly true. I have faith in this team that's well-coached, has good offensive weapons. We're talking about Antonio Gibson. We're talking about Logan Thomas, Curtis Samuels, who would come back eventually. Of course, they still have Terry McLaurin, a fantastic defense with the likes of Chase Young on it. Like, honestly, I still believe in the skill positions of this team and their coaching. And the fact that that defense would be good enough to carry them through the NFC East. We saw how Taylor Heineke was able to battle against the champion Bucks in the playoffs last year. It's clear that he has some juice to him in the Washington football team based on the contract that they gave him after that game. Believing him enough for them to have him be their quarterback until Ryan Fitzpatrick gets back. Do I personally believe that they should make an addition at quarterback? 300%. Once people get some more film on Tyler Heineke, once defensive coordinators start getting into scheme for him specifically, it'll be interesting to see how he can handle that. I'm getting a little bit of visions of Kyle Allen that last year in the with the Panthers. The Ron Rivera was there, started off strong. People got the film on him and went downhill fast. But I'm not out on the Washington football team yet. Not in the very least bit. All right, what's next? What's next? What else am I out on? I am out on the you must start Justin Fields now after game one in Chicago. Was game one good? Absolutely not. Was Matt Nagy's play calling kind of bad to say the very least? Yes. I was surprised that he played it so conservative with the route tree, considering the weapons that we have added and have with the Chicago Bears offense. I was even more surprised by how aggressively he played it on fourth down, considering he refused to be aggressive with the route tree. However, I'm not convinced of the hype train that this has to happen now and that the sky is falling for Chicago. You've already waited the first game. Stick it out. Follow through with the plan that you have now, because if you think you're getting killed now, if Justin Fields gets in and the O-line can't protect him and he gets slaughtered, you're going to get killed anyway, Matt Nagy. The NFC North went 0-4 in week one. 0-4. There is literally no pressure division-wise right now based off that first game. The This is the biggest overreaction of overreaction Monday to me so far. And the Bears might have played the toughest opponent out of those four teams in the NFC North, maybe outside of the Lions, who drew the 49ers. The Bears get Cincy in week two, and the Red Rifle needs to be able to show something there. If he can't win or at the very least be extremely competitive in that game, then, okay, sound the alarms, I'll be listening. We might have to move up the timeline significantly more than has been planned. But until then, I'm willing to just be a little bit more cautious and let things play out. It's a very early in a 17-game season. Now, what I am in on 
What I am in on is how the media is killing Matt Nagy right now. That is disgusting. Every show is doing a segment on how Matt Nagy needs to be fired. He doesn't know what he's doing. The play calling is atrocious, which is true. But more importantly, that Justin Fields needs to start now. And every move the Bears organization is making makes no sense whatsoever. He is currently the hottest seat in the NFL. And he has the best odds for being the first coach to be fired in the NFL. I will tell you now, I'm in on the seat being hot. I'm in on the media continuing to kill him. I am out on Matt Nagy being the first coach to be fired. Something is going on there in Chicago in which the ownership and the front office are on the same page about what they want to do with Justin Fields. And they understood that this media onslaught was going to happen when they created this plan. Follow through Chicago and do not get bullied into making stupid decisions when you've already made a decision that has a plan that is well thought out and behind it. All right, all right. The next thing that I am definitely out on. I am out on the Texans, Eagles, Bengals, and Raiders all after their amazing week one upset being significantly better teams than we believe or being possible playoff teams. Look, all of these teams would be average to mediocre. Texans, Eagles, being more on the mediocre side, Bengals, Raiders being more on the average side, but regression to the mean will a hundred, a hundred percent be true when it comes to this situation. Jalen Hurts and Tyrod Taylor were quarterback six and 11 this week. That is not something that I think is going to be sustainable going forward. These are not completely new teams. They played well. I give them that. It is week one of the NFL season. And I don't believe that these teams are going to be significantly better than we think they are. The Texans will still struggle. The Eagles will not win the NFC East. Hold your horses. The Raiders aren't live in the AFC West. They had good games. Boost their total wins for the season that you had for them by one or two games. Three at most if we're talking a team like Cincy. But that's it. Calm down. All right, now I want to talk about some things I'm in on. Enough negativity, enough negativity. I want to talk to you about the storylines that I am in on from this from this week one. What is All right, the first one that I am in on is Matt Stafford with the Rams is different, different. And I only needed the first game to see this. He was the number one quarterback when it was came to QBR at 156.1. The max might be 160. He was number four in completion percentage. He carved up a Bears defense that people used to be afraid of. They used all parts of the field with him. He was able to make all of the throws, which we knew he had the arm talent for. For some reason, people thought he would have trouble with the bootleg plays. I have no idea why, because he looks fantastic on those plays. The defense still is good for the Rams. Like Everybody looked ecstatic watching him make these plays. I believe it. I believe it. This is the defense that used to give him trouble when he was in Detroit. He slaughtered it. All right, what's up? I am also in on the Patriots being pretty good this year, most likely a playoff team. Look, Mac Jones played very well. He didn't do anything crazy. The playbook was pretty limited for him, but he made all the throws he was supposed to make. He made good decisions. He was what was advertised by the Patriots for him. I think he led rookies in QBR this week. Look, 
The defense only gave up 17 points. That's what you want from a Patriots defense. The fact that they lost the game while giving up 17 points shouldn't happen more than once in a season. That is sad. If that continues to happen, then this Patriots offense is even more anemic than I thought, and they needed to keep Cam Newton because they needed the playmaker to help them put some extra points on the field, on, on the board. They also had three fumbles. That is not a very characteristic Patriots game. Everybody fumbled. Stevenson fumbled, and I was like, oh, man, that sucks for him. He's not going to see the field again for the rest of the game. We know how Bill feels about fumbles. Damian Harris fumbled too. So now, honestly, the backfield is back to even. I just don't expect the Patriots to make this many mis- mistakes week after week after week. They're going to tighten up. This was Mac Jones' first NFL game. He is only going to get better from here on out. They're only going to expand the playbook for him from here on out. I, I'm in on the Patriots. I'm still in on the Patriots. What it is! The last storyline that I am in on is the Browns are fantastic and legit Super Bowl contenders. They play KC, and the way they play KC showed that they are a real team. They choked in the end, but that is okay because it is week one. This is a week one loss that I think the Browns will definitely learn a lot from and build on going forward. The Browns got the moral victory that the Cowboys thought they got by playing the Bucks close. That's really what I think about this. The defense looked good, especially that front. Being able to get pressure on Mahomes, especially early on in the game before Kansas City made some adjustments that got them what they needed in the big plays that erases the leads that teams so frequently get early on, uh, on Kansas City. Offense still looks great. That running game looks dynamic. Baker for 90% of the game looks fantastic. I'm in on the Browns. 100% in on the Browns. Let's, 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 let's not play, boy. All right, all right. I want to get into the fly route this week, and I want to talk about John Wall. Houston and John Wall have recently come to an agreement that he will be moved. He will not play any more games for the Rockets, and he will either be traded or bought out. And the distinction between the trade and the buyout is huge for me. John Wall has two years, $91 million left on his contract. A buyout makes this much more interesting for him because it is going to be very hard to move that contract. And I think that most of the places that you can move that contract, whatever you have to bring back to Houston To make the salary match makes that trade not really interesting. Can't shake up the league. However, if he is bought out, we're talking about John Wall, 20-point-a-game scorer on a discount that almost every contending team could actually use. A trade will be hard with that contract, but it will not be impossible, and it is clearly Houston's preferred option. So I want to talk to you about the fly route for a John Wall trade. All right. Fly out for a John Wall trade, the first team that comes to my mind, and I don't think any team gets to being as good as this team does, and that is the L.A. Clippers. The L.A. Clippers trading for John Wall, hear me out. The Clippers can actually get this done. They actually just have to wait till December for contract reasons for when they can actually trade some of these pieces. And I think that you give up Eric Blezzo, Luke Kennard, and Justin Winslow. You could swap Luke Kennard and Morris. If you wanted to, I think Morris is probably the 
more value to stay for the Clippers. And that's really only losing one player from last year's team, which would be Kennard or Morris, which is a significant role player. But you get someone with all-star potential if he can stay healthy and on the court. Someone that can run the offense, which has been a heavy, heavy, heavy complaint for the Clippers over the last couple of seasons. It's why they went for Rondo, which failed as an experiment. It's why they tried to bring him Bledsoe right now. And Wall is an upgrade from Bledsoe for a minimal additional loss in Luke Kennard to get that upgrade in John Wall. And that contract is terrible, but it's only terrible for two years, this season and the next season. And you, if you're a Clippers fan, should be willing to eat that contract, especially this year, because you're not going to have Kawhi for the majority of the year, if any of the year at all. And you need someone that can burden share with Paul George going into this season and hopefully into another deep playoff run that you might not have Kawhi Leonard for. You don't have to overplay a John Wall in this situation because you also have Reggie Jackson on that new contract who can also take up minutes at the one running the offense and providing some of the shooting that John Wall doesn't in different lineups. And this allows them to be competitive and build more playoff chemistry and then drop in Kawhi next year for their real major run. The championship window for the Clippers is next, next, next season, not this upcoming season where Kawhi Leonard is going to be hurt. So you'll have John Wall on an expiring contract one last year. You'll have Kawhi Leonard. You will have Paul George. You'll have functionally a big three there where John Wall can be the third option. And you can see if you can really make a run with that core. If it doesn't work out, you can trade Wall again in that season. Hopefully try to get something back. Or more likely, you can either get him at a discount after his contract runs up or just cut ties. And if you cut ties with that $47 million John Wall cost you at that time, you will have a ton of cap space. This is actually the really interesting thing to me. You will have a ton of cap space going forward into the 2023 free agency period. And that's a big fish year. Russell Westbrook is going to be available again. Bradley Beal is going to be available. James Harden, Kyrie Irving. If you're looking for a number three instead of maybe a number two to fit next to Kawhi Leonard, Andrew Wiggins is going to be available. D'Angelo Russell, Malcolm Brogdon, Jeremy Grant, Christian Wood. There will, it, look, 2023 is a big year. And John Wall might be the perfect type of cap and success management for the Clippers that really ushered them into a continued era of success. Now, I just want to talk about John Wall. Like, what is modern John Wall? We all know what the perceived ceiling for John Wall is now, and that's just like, can John Wall ever get back to who he was prior to the injuries? And if he gets back there, he's a top 30 player in the NBA, arguably. But that's not even what a Clippers team needs when they are healthy. John Wall's last season, he played 40 games in last year. He averaged 20.6 points and seven assists, playing 32 minutes a game. He can play, make for others, and score when he wants to. And even though he's not a great three-point shooter, career 32%, I am willing to bet right now that after playing his first season in basketball in about three seasons and getting to exit that season healthy, getting to spend an offseason working on his body and training instead of rehabbing, that John Wall will look even better 
this next season that he did in his previous season. The second team for me is the Pelicans. And this is going to require some magic for the Pelicans. I'm going to be honest with you. It's going to require the Pelicans to give up Graham and or Hart, Sato from the Bulls that they got in the Lonzo signing trade, as well as Garrett Temple in the trade that they got from the Bulls. Then they're also going to need a second or third team to join in to get some salary to make this trade work. But we know that the Pelicans really wanted to make a move at point guard this offseason and in free agency, especially after they traded Alonzo Ball. The rumors were that they made a run at Cal Lowry and they struck out. Earlier, I talked about how John Wall is a 20-point-a-game guy, seven-assist-a-game guy, is much more consistent and is a much more aggressive scorer than Alonzo Ball. Not shooter, but scorer. The Lazo Ball can play off the ball and cut with Zion when he's playing point Zion, but also allows him to switch back at times and allows John Wall to take control of the offense here and there when necessary. Most importantly, it brings in a veteran presence to that team that has succeeded in this league and knows what it takes to succeed in that league. And I will say this again, I hate to be that guy, but the Pelicans need to be doing everything they can to keep Zion Williamson in New Orleans. The front office needs to start getting a little NFC West-like, to use a football example, how the Cardinals, the Seahawks, the Rams, and especially the 49ers have been aggressive in making every addition that they can, trading draft picks, making changes, even if they had someone that was suitable, i.e. Jared Goff upgrade to Matt Stafford. You think Devontae Graham might elevate into what you need him to be, but elevate into John Wall because what you need is something for right now. This is the perfect situation for the Pelicans to go out and get it and try to take a big swing that makes Zion and his family know that you all are serious about giving him the ability to compete in New Orleans. That's great because it allows the Pelicans to upgrade at the point guard spot while getting value back. If Houston is moving this John Wall contract, they are moving picks with this John Wall contract. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Which means that New Orleans could get more picks, which they can either package into more experienced, proven players, or even more young talent to add into that roster, while upgrading a point guard. Only two years left on that contract, so by the time you need to extend Zion and get him all that money, you're either paying John Wall less or John Wall is off the books. And to be honest, I like John Wall, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Jonas Valanciunas as a starting five. You either have Devontae Graham or Josh Hart in there playing the two, depending on who stays when you make this trade. This is an above average starting five in the NBA. Is it a playoff team in the West? I don't know. I honestly don't know. And it might not be, but it gives them a much, much, much better chance than they had going into this season right now. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is, can we stop trying to shoehorn? Ben Simmons into this John Wall trade. It's only been like a day since this became public knowledge, maybe two at the most, but I've seen so, so, so many people try to shoehorn Ben Simmons for John Wall. That is not going to happen. If that would have happened, Darren Moore would have taken the Brogdon deal on, that was on the table or the Cal Lowry deal that was on the table that he did not take for Ben Simmons. He's already shot down similar deals to this deal he has made it known 
that the asking price for Ben Simmons is so high that there's no, no feasible way that this is the trade that's going to happen. If John Wall was enough to get Ben Simmons out of Philly, Ben Simmons would already be out of Philly. Now, buyout John Wall, I told you earlier, was a little bit different. And maybe Houston will finally get past the point of trying to move this contract because it's just too difficult and they cannot do it. And it becomes a buyout situation. And when we get to the buyout John Wall phase, things do get significantly more interesting to me. More teams that are contenders can actually change and shake the landscape of the NBA through a John Wall buyout and then getting him at a discount afterwards. And here are the three teams that I want to give you for buyout John Wall. Now, the first one is Dallas. Putting John Wall next to Luka to share some point guard handling duties, but also with Christophe Porzingis. Dallas has a big three. They still are able to play Tim Hardaway Jr. on the floor in that situation as well which would give them the spacing that they need, Philly. And I told you, like, no trades. But Philly, they get John Wall on a discount. That is fantastic for them. And I think that they are definitely willing to take that. And then that might make the moving of Ben Simmons a little bit easier for them because they don't need as much back to keep a competitive team. And the last for me is Denver. Denver, buyout John Wall. Definitely a candidate there. Denver could use some more talent, but Denver will also be missing their starting point guard and Jamal Murray for the majority of the season next year. So they definitely need someone to help fill out the minutes at the one, give some passing and some scoring ability. Those are my three teams. If John Wall gets butt out that I would like to see him go to, to really make an impact on the league. Let me know where you think John Wall should go. Put it in the comments. Make sure that you like wherever you're watching, and that you subscribe. It's a Playboy, it's a Playboy affair. The NFL is back and so is over $500,000 in prize money with MyBookie.ag. MyBookie has live in-game betting for all the NFL games this weekend and prop bets such as the over-under for fantasy points on your favorite player. Make sure to check out the MyBookie Super Contest. It costs $10 to enter, and you get to pick five games against the spread. And for each game you get right, you get closer to the grand prize. Use promo code FLY and receive an 100% match on your first deposit up to $1,000. That's promo code FLY to double your money and double your winnings with your first ever deposit at MyBookie.ag. So in honor of that Super Contest, I am going to give you my five fly picks for week two of the NFL season. Week one was rough for me. I took a lot of L's, but we're going to get that all back here in week two. Now, week one, the first game I want to talk about is the Falcons versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I am going to tell you, take the Falcons with the points. The spread on my bookie is the Tampa being favored by 12.5 points at minus 110 odds. Tampa will obviously win this game. But I don't think the Atlanta offense will be that anemic for the second week in a row, especially after they brought over that coordinator from the Titans this season. Tampa will get up big, obviously, but Tampa will then relax some and then the Falcons will rally, rally back and make the game look a lot closer than it ever was at any point in the game. 
And if they get too close, we know Tom Brady will always put them right back down. I feel like we might have even seen this game last season. Tampa will get up big early, and the Falcons will close the gap. And I am super confident about this because Tampa's defense has one glaring weakness, and that's in the secondary. That means when they start playing a little bit more prevent, I expect Matt Ryan to be able to eat significantly. I'm saying Tampa by 10. My next game is the Chiefs versus the Ravens. The Chiefs are favored at minus 3.5 and minus 110 odds. That's a line that I wouldn't mind taking, but what I am more interested in for this game is the over-under at 55 at the same odds at minus 110. That line is way better in this situation, and I'm way more comfortable taking it. The one thing that we know about Kansas City is if you have any chance of being it being competitive with Kansas City, you have to put points up on the board. If you have any chance of beating Kansas City, you have to put basically over 30 points on the board to win this game. The teams know it when they play Kansas City, so we often see teams chasing points against Kansas City, going for the two-point conversion, going for it on fourth down. Kansas City puts up near an average of 30 points a game in the Mahomes era. If you want to beat Kansas City, we're probably going to have a game with over 60 points in general. The Baltimore Raiders game went for 60 points. Without OT, they went for 54 points. Baltimore's offense will be better and put up more points on the board in this upcoming week by the simple fact that their new running backs will be even a larger focal point of their system. Lamar will not fumble the ball three times again. Baltimore had 27 points on Monday against the Raiders and averaged over 29 points a game last season. I am taking the over on 55 points, and I think you should too. The next game is the Arizona Cardinals versus the Minnesota Vikings. The spread favors the Cardinals at three, three and a half at minus 110 odds. That's down from four and a half earlier this week. Based on what I saw from the Cardinals in the Vikings last week and even last season, I will take the Cardinals to cover the spread here. They have an explosive offense that can put points up on the board in an extreme fashion. What they did to the Titans last week was an embarrassing for the Titans. They also have a fantastic defense. We saw Chandler Jones get five sacks and two forced fumbles in his first game back. J.J. Watt making timely stops at the goal line. This team is going to be really good. I think they're going to give the Vikings a lot of trouble. I say that Arizona wins by a touchdown or more. My next one is going to be Rams versus the Colts. The Rams are favored at minus 3.5 and minus 110 odds to beat the Colts down from four earlier this week. I like this line, and I like this line when it was four. Watching Stafford and the Rams in that offense last week against the Bears makes me confident that they can cover up the Colts. More importantly, the Colts look like a team that's going to come on slowly based off their game against Seattle in week one but all the pieces are there for them to have success later on in the season. But it's going to take them a bit to put it together. I'm willing to take the Rams after that impressive, impressive showing in week one with the points. The last game I have for you all is the Chargers versus the Cowboys. And I'm taking the over at 55 as well at minus 110 odds. Basically, I'm taking the over for every Dallas game this season, for the rest of the season. Dallas is going to win a decent number of games this year, but they're going to be in even more close games, especially with Dak Prescott. And the one thing we know that Dak could do is put up monster numbers and monster points. And that defense is still going to give up a lot of big plays and make some mistakes. Apparently, the Dallas D 
has allowed 35.1 points per game in Dak's last six starts. That means the Cowboys only have to score 20 to beat the odds here and hit the over on 55. And Dallas played all those games close, which means they're going to score more than 20. It's going to be a thriller. I'm going to take the over. The Cowboys will always put a lot of points on the board. And this is one of my safest bets of the week right here. Cowboys versus the Chargers. All right, it's time for the final segment of the show, the heart of the show, Ballers Bouquet. Too often in the media, people only focus on the negative and salacious things athletes do and never want to give them their credit where credit is due. Here, I like to make a change. And this week's Ballers Bouquet goes to the Arizona Cardinals head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, who has pledged to donate $5,000 for every Cardinals win this season to Team Luke Hope for Minds. All right, Team Luke Hope for Minds is a nonprofit organization that is focused on being able to give support to families whose children have suffered severe brain injuries. Now, Kingsbury coached at Texas Tech from 2013 to 2018, where he became familiar with Luke from Team Luke and his father, who was a coach for Texas Tech for their tennis team. Now, Luke's father is Tim, who was the coach, and Luke was involved in a golf cart accident in 2015, left him with severe brain damage, impacted his speech, movement, cognitive abilities. He had to go through in grueling physical therapy and many surgeries. And because of that trial, the Seagulls started the Team Luke Foundation, where people can read more about him and about other children who are dealing with severe brain injuries. They set up GoFundMes that help families cover medical costs following an accident. And they just try to enrich the lives of the children themselves. So they do things like, you know, get the children to meet athletes. You know, Luke met people like Patrick Mahomes, Drew Brees, et cetera, right? While also being able to support those families through educating them about how to help a child that is dealing with a severe brain injury, but also trying to offer them support and financial support because many of the time they actually end up having to deal with these costs out of pockets. Now, according to the Center of Head Injury Services, approximately one in 500 school-aged children each year receive a head injury severe enough to be hospitalized. Now, families might be eligible for certain types of support, but funding is limited, and many of those families pay for the medical care on their own. The emotional, physical, and financial strain is something that these families are not usually prepared for. And that is something that Team Luke, Hope for Minds, tries to help them with. Now, unfortunately, in August, Luke Seigel died less than a week after being diagnosed with COVID-19 and battling symptoms consistent with having COVID-S pneumonia. So that is extremely sad to hear. But his memory lives on through this foundation that Cliff Kingsbury is making a statement, bringing more attention to and also just putting his money where his mouth is to help support. So if this is a cause that you feel like you can give to or that you feel is impactful, you can also give as well 
by going to www.teamlukehopeforminds.org slash give dash support. And that link is going to be in the bio of the episode, in the bio of the specific clip that drops for this, so you can reach them and make the world a better place. Now, that is it for episode 52 of the Fly Route Podcast. As always, I want to say I appreciate each and every single one of you for rocking with us, whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, Audia, Podchaser, Apple Music, Spotify. Honestly, it doesn't ever matter at this point. If you all are supporting us and you see it, you see an episode, you see a clip, you share it with a friend, you are making all of this possible and making all the growth that we are experiencing possible as a podcast. So I cannot thank you all enough and I cannot wait to give you the next episode next Friday. The fly route pod, the fly route pod, the fly route pod, the fly route pod.